today, uh, yesterday we celebrated, Friday we celebrated, Thursday we celebrated Veterans Day, Friday we did, Saturday we did, but we just want to take a minute. If you served in, uh, in our uh, United States forces in any capacity, would you just stand so we can just say thank you if you served? Yeah. Thank you very much. Good job. Uh, it's been a it's it, it's it's been a remarkable uh, last few days uh, uh, celebrating Veterans Day. Uh, I think there were more Air Force guys in, sorry, Army and Marine. I know there's a Coast Guard guy hiding somewhere. Um, Navy guy. Uh, more Air Force guys here this morning than there was in Salem uh, yesterday. So I, I think we're on the right track. So that's really good. Um, this morning, um, we're going to be looking at uh, the last part of Acts chapter 11. And um, if, you, if you turn there with me, uh, we'll pray, and then we'll take a look at uh, our text. As far as the, the lay of the land, what we're going to do is um, we're going to look at a little bit of an introduction, and then we're going to uh, read uh, through the text and make a few comments. And then we're going to go back to um, uh, the three slides we used last week and talk about them again uh, and make application from the text. Because those three slides, if you can remember from last week, they track identically again with the text we're going to look at. Uh, if you weren't here last week, just hold on a little bit. You'll get exposed to them. And then. Um, uh, before we do all of that, let me just give you the reason uh, for using uh, kind of sociological grid for describing it as far as uh, a closed set and an open set and the, the little Venn diagram we have uh, for community gospel. Uh, the reason for, for using this language and presenting it like this is to really help our young 20s and our and our uh, teenagers that are in high school uh, to help them uh, with language uh, to describe who we are and what our purpose is as a, as a local church. Um, I can't answer for anybody else out there what, who they are and what their purpose is or anything like that. That's way above my pay grade. Um, but I want to help. Um, our young people uh, to be able to say in, with, a, with a winsomeness and some, uh, say, thoughtfulness, be able to communicate to their culture in their day uh, who we are as a church. Uh, and they're struggling with that. If you have a 14-year-old or 15-year-old 16-year-old. They're really struggling with, well, who and what are we as a church? I, I, because they're being told who we are uh, by their peers and by other people in the community, and it's not accurate. It's not accurate. And so what I want to do is seed, once again, uh, kind of this perspective or view uh, into our hearts 
as a way to equip us to, to be able to engage culture uh, with the gospel and to be able to define who we are uh, as, a, as a local church and define who we are not at the expense of someone else. So we don't want to define ourselves and, and take a pot shot at someone else in the community. We just want to say, this is who we are. This is what the Bible teaches. And, and to be able to be clear about that in a winsome way with the hope of being a good ambassador for Christ in the midst of our culture. So let's pray, get a little intro, read through the text. Then we're going to look at these three slides and talk about it a little bit this morning. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for uh, gathering us together this morning and gathering us for worship, whether we're, uh, we're right here in this room, right this moment, or watching online. We pray, Lord, that you would equip us and help us to be a good ambassador uh, for Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So when we look at this text, we're in Acts chapter 11, uh, verse 19, uh, through the end of the chapter. Um, what we could say about the text, William Barclay does a really good job at kind of giving us um, kind of an introduction or a way of looking at the text. He writes this, quote, In restrained sentences, these few words tell us of one of the greatest events in history. Now, you heard that from a different author, from Boyce, last week, that he said that Acts chapter 11 is perhaps the greatest chapter in all of the Bible. Now, that is like, when you consider all of the Bible, that is a pretty heady statement. And the reason for that is, in Barclay's words, he says, now for the first time, the gospel is deliberately preached to the Gentiles. Everything in the book of Acts has been working up to this. Working up to what? Working up to the gospel going to the whole world. A gospel that defeats religious prejudice. A gospel that defeats the human tendency to look at people different from themselves in a negative light. The gospel comes fueled by the Holy Spirit and goes into all the world and changes society forever. So when we look at our text, I would tend to agree. I, it is perhaps the most important text when you look at engaging culture that you'll ever read. And yet, we read through Acts as a narrative and somewhat yawn, but embedded in the text is a grid that I think is helpful to us to reflect upon because we want to see the gospel impact our culture and our time and our day. Let's read through the text. We're in Acts chapter 11, verse 19. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution, and that goes back to Stephen, 
that Stephen gave witness and he was stoned to death and the church that was gathered in Jerusalem, they were scattered. And we've looked at Philip's journey to Samaria. We've looked at uh, Philip witnessing to the Ethiopian eunuch. We've looked at Peter's uh, visions and his heart to go to Cornelius, the Roman centurion. And when the whole church was scattered, the whole world began to change and take shape. Back to the text. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Take note of that. Maybe highlight it or underline it. They reserved the proclamation of the gospel to a particular ethnic group, to the Jews. Why did they do that? Well, they did it because they believed that the gospel was only for a particular group of people. They believed that in order to really fully come to faith, even in Jesus Christ, one had to observe uh, the rituals of the Old Testament, including circumcision. A parallel, say, letter or epistle that Paul wrote is Paul's letter to the Galatians. And in Paul's letter to the Galatians, he addresses this. He says, O ye foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, having begun in the spirit, now trying to be made perfect in the flesh? And so the early church put upon Gentiles the requirements of the Old Testament in addition to Christ. And so they limited the scope and impact of the gospel message. Text goes on. Verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists. Now, these are the Greeks. Also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was on them. Now, the hand of the Lord is... Uh, is a way, a literary device of describing God's favor and God's blessing. If you were to look at Ezra chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, you see that Ezra was a godly man, and over and over again in Ezra 7 and in Ezra 8, it says that the hand of God was upon his life. And when you drill down on what does that look like, what does it look like to have the hand of God on your life? We can look at Ezra's life and we can see three things. First, is that he had determined in his heart. In other words, he made a decision to follow after God. Secondly, we can see from the text in Ezra 7 that he was a man of God's word. He studied God's word, loved God's word, wanted to proclaim God's word. And thirdly, he obeyed God's word. And as a result of his decision in his heart, as a result of his love and, and study of God's word, and as a result of his obedience, the text tells us, 
And Luke picks it up that the hand of God, the favor of God, and the blessings of God was upon his life and his ministry. The application for us is that if you like the hand of God upon your life and the blessings of God upon your life, then you've got a decision to make in your heart to follow after him. You have a decision to make to, like, what does the word of God, what does it tell me about God's nature and character? And finally, will you obey it? Ezra did all of those, and God protected him. God gave him courage, and God blessed the work of his ministry. The same thing happens here. Back to the text. And the hand of the Lord, verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Verse 22. The report of this came to command central. It came to headquarters in Jerusalem. And the leaders of the Jerusalem church said, whoa, stop. Put a period there. Stop the presses. This is getting way out of hand. What is this? Gentiles, uncircumcised, coming to faith in the Messiah? This can't be. We're going to have to send someone to check it out and to fix it and to stop this nonsense. Who can we send to do this? And out of the providence of God, we can all say, thank the Lord. They didn't send someone from the circumcision party, which is Paul's letter to the Galatians. They sent Barnabas. Take a look at this. Verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. How did Barnabas see the grace of God? My suggestion, or my thought on it, is that it takes a person that's been seasoned with grace to see grace. It takes someone that has experienced the grace of the Lord to see the grace of the Lord in operation when, he, when that person, him or her, goes to minister. If a person is a legalist, Maybe you know a person or two like that. If a person is, is rigid, all as they see is what's lacking. You ever know someone like that? It doesn't matter what Thanksgiving dinner in your house looks like until that person comes in and they can only see what you didn't do. Well, the potatoes aren't like aren't Martha made. Potatoes aren't like Nana's. And they have a critical eye. Why? Because they lack grace in their life. When Paul talks about the circumcision party in his 
epistle to the Galatians, he calls attention to the fact that they are so bound up in their legalism, they can't dispense grace to other people. Look at Barnabas' ministry. It says in the report, it says in verse 23, when he, look at the verbs here, when he came, and when he saw, when he came, when he saw, he saw what? He didn't see what was missing. He saw the grace of God. And what is his response to the grace of God that he observes? He goes, keep on walking in the right direction. Maybe you were a kiddo growing up and you had an, an, uh, a difficult parent. If you're here right now and you have a difficult parent, just keep your eyes straight. Don't do anything. Your life will be miserable in the car ride home. But if you had a difficult parent, there's nothing you could do to please them. They always wanted more. You could, like, when I was a boy, I was a fidgety boy. You know, I, I would probably be classified, and, and, and this is a real issue here. In our day, you know, they'd probably give me something to calm me down. But when you have a parent that's always telling you to sit, 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 it's like, and you're like, <laughs> they can only see what you're not, not what you are, not who you are. Barnabas was a man full of grace and faith, and he could see because his heart was touched by the grace of the Lord. And his words of encouragement to them was this, keep on doing the right thing. Keep on moving forward in your life. Come back to the text. Take a look at it with me. It says in verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. Why did Barnabas go get Paul? Well, we don't know specifically why. I, I think I could, uh, if you give me a little grace, <laughs> I could suggest that Barnabas needed Saul and Saul needed Barnabas. Why? Because God seldom accomplishes all of his purposes except through team-based ministry. You see that over and over again in the book of Acts. Why did Saul need Barnabas? Want to take a stab at it? What did Saul lack? <laughs> yeah, you got it. Saul lacked grace. Barnabas had lots of grace. Paul's going to be impacted by Barnabas, and he's going to excel and exceed Barnabas' ministry. And he's going to write an amazing epistle to who? To the circumcision party, those in Galatia. 
Barnabas needed Saul because Saul had all the what? He had all the credentials. He had all the deep insight. Saul, Paul is going to end up writing the greatest theological treatise ever. Sorry if this offends you. You have your favorite systematic theologian. Uh, my favorite theologian is the Apostle Paul who wrote the book of Romans. And so what we see here is a humble man, Barnabas. I don't know any pastors that would do this, by the way. Maybe you do. I would like to think I would do it. We have a great revival, right? Church is packed. Oh, I need some help. I think I'll go get someone that's going to excel and exceed my ministry. And that's Barnabas. Barnabas is God's man at God's time. Did I, did I mention at the beginning that Acts chapter 11 is the greatest chapter in the whole Bible? Why? Because it defeated religious and ethnic prejudice. It defeated it. And it defeated it by what means? <laughs> by grace. What are we dispensers of in our culture today? Laws and regulations and, and you're in or you're out based upon what we think is appropriate or whatever? No. The gospel moved forward because, because Barnabas was a man of grace and he dispensed grace. What did Barnabas and Saul do? Well, come back to the text and, and uh, we'll finish it up. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And Antioch, the disciples were first called of the household of Christ. They were first called Christians. The early Christians had another name for themselves. It wasn't Christians. Christians eventually took over. But what was the, the favorite name of the early believers? They were people of the people of the way. They were following in the way of Christ, John 14, 6. Back to the text. What happened next? Verse 27. Now in these days, the prophets came down from Jerusalem and to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. In your notes, I give you the text reference or the historical, historical uh, footnote for that. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. You just have to stop and say, what? The sign of true, sorry, the sign of true spiritual formation, or transformation, let me get that right. The sign of true spiritual transformation is the best observed where? What you do with your wallet. Now get this. These guys are Gentiles. The people back at headquarters in Jerusalem don't like them. And what did grace produce? 
grace produce all our, our fellow our fellow brothers and sisters in Judea are going to have a hard time because of a famine. Let us gather up resources and send it to them. It flipped out the leaders in Jerusalem. And it softened their heart. And we'll get to that in a couple weeks. Let's bring this all together for us and, and deal with the why. Why are, we, why are we calling so much attention to Acts chapter 11? Well, some, I'm not alone in this, some feel it's the most important chapter in the Bible because it defeats religious and racial prejudice. And how does it defeat religious and racial, racial prejudice? It defeats them through grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our teenagers and even our adults that, are, that have a heart to engage culture, there's kind of three things that we can see from our text. If you put up the, the bounded set, that would be great. A bounded set indicates an in-group and an out-group. When you look at the text, come back to the text with me here, in I think it's verse 19, uh, take a look at it. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except who? Except Jews. Why? Because they had inbred religious and rach, uh, racial, racial prejudice. Remember Jesus going to Samaria? You remember, you know, uh, John chapter 4, the woman at the well? Jesus conquered that. Not only ethnic, but gender prejudice towards women. Conquered it and invited that lady to experience living water. He touched her heart with grace. Let me say parenthetically, John and Linda Peel are, are offering uh, a viewing time for uh, the thing Chosen, right? And, and I certainly know that there's a lot of hoopla over Chosen. Oh, it's not this and it's not that. I'll tell you one thing that it is. It represents the kindness and humanity and grace and the winsomeness that we can see described in the scriptures about Jesus. Jesus loved people, changed their lives with grace. But churches tend to have an in and out group. We talked about this last week a little bit. One of our favorite ways to keep people out is our little propensity for church membership, right? If you match A, B, C, and D, and you meet with the grand poobahs of the church, and they give you the Fred Flintstone, you know, Bonnie Rubble, secret handshake, yabba dabba do. then you're in the in-group. But you can have a wicked heart. You can have a legalistic bent to you that repels people, but as long as you get the boxes checked, and you get meet with... Uh, 
Barney and Fred, and you get the secret handshake, you're in. Or we don't like people of a particular color. Right? Or we don't like people because they're, and I've forgiven you many times, you don't like people from Medfa because they can't pronounce things and you know they're short and they, they're too pasty white or whatever. You don't like them. Or you don't like fill in the blank. That keeps people out. I, and I, I, my conviction, like when you, when you look at the text, what did Barnabas do? Did he, did he look at what wasn't happening or did he look at what God was doing? Next, go to the next one. Barnabas looked at a, if we could conceptualize it, a centered set. He saw grace in action, and he saw people moving in what direction? Who were they moving towards? They were moving towards a person. Were they moving towards a building? No. All these are no, so. Were they moving toward the, the charismatic pastor with the Skinny jeans. If I wore skinny jeans, my legs would turn blue. <laughs> did they, did, did, <laughs> sorry, sorry people if I'm stepping on your toes. I'm actually stepping on my own toes. Did, did Barnabas point them to his favorite systematic theologian? His, his go-to. No. He encouraged them in their pursuit of Christ. And I'm telling you, folks, there's people that are not here this Sunday that were here last Sunday because it's offensive to a bounded set person. It's offensive. What do you mean? I want there to be an in-group, and I go, well, the gospel's not like that. It lets everybody in that's going towards Christ. What are the implications for this about for our high schoolers? The implications is for this is, is a bounded set is created by fear. Fear and prejudice. If you fear a person, you only have one or two responses. Either you remove the person or you remove yourself from the relationship. And secondly, you attack the person. Is that very helpful for relationships? No. The implications for our high schoolers is that you don't have to be against anything. And I'll qualify that, you know. What you need to get a hold of is who are you for? And, and who has you? And who is that person? Because when Barnabas came, he saw the Gentiles were headed towards Christ. Can you articulate that? Can you articulate that, that I'm a Christian because I'm imperfect and don't have it all together and I want a relationship with God, but because I'm imperfect, Jesus has come to forgive my sins and bring me into a relationship with him. It's not based upon works, but it's because 
God liked me and sent his grace to me. And because he sent his grace to me, I simply trusted him and believed him. Can you articulate that simple truth? Rather than being railing against what you're against. Christians are becoming more known for the boundedness of us rather than the glorious, radical freedom of grace. Preacher here today, huh? Getting get excited. Reminds me of the the uh, VFW meeting I went to yesterday. They were out of control. See, I I don't think we've many many different people over the decades, centuries have talked about the radical nature of grace, and we need a new like realization of that. We have nothing to fear as Christians. Perfect love has cast out fear. Perfect love has put a death peg in the heart of fear. We don't need to fear the ideology of the world because the love of Christ has conquered it. And it began in Acts chapter 11. So Barnabas points people to Christ, and that is really my heart as a pastor. When people come through that door, you know, I'm glad if they've showered. I mean, that's a plus. It really helps. It's hard to be close to someone when, anyway. But I don't have a checklist. I'm watching their feet. Are they stepping towards Christ? If they're stepping toward Christ, they're in. Are they having struggles in their life and they're, and they're looking for an answer? They're in. Are they confused? But they, like right now, right here, right this moment, if you're in your heart, you're, you're feeling like you're loved and you're safe, that's called grace. Will you step into it? I went uh, uh, Veterans Day. I went to Teal School um, for the first time since January of '79, my discharge date. I put on my uniform. What was miraculous is that I fit. <laughs> I had to work through some real. Uh, stuff, uh, post-Vietnam stuff. It was weird then. And for the last couple months, I felt the Holy Spirit like convicting me, like, all right, you're 67. You did none of this for your own kids. You're 67. When are you going to step out? When are you going to move beyond this stuff? When are you going to do it? And I tell the Lord, Never. And he said, well, what about Teal? And, you know, true story. I said, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll deal with my stuff, and I'll go to Teal School, and uh, I'll put on the uniform. The, the, the drawing conviction part of the heart 
That's what grace looks like. It woos you, calls you. The faith part is stepping into it. And get this, it's never too late. Some of you guys have been dealing with stuff for decades. It, it's never too late to step into grace. Never too late to change. Never too late to move towards Jesus. Never too late to, le to let go of the hurt that was committed upon you by people you trusted in your life. It's never too late to say, all right, Lord, I'm safe in you. I'm going to trust you. Never too late. That's what ministry looks like when we're centered on Jesus. It's never too late to drink a cup of grace. The action point for us comes to free will. Will you, will you exercise faith and step into all that God has for you? We, you can do that. You can do it. Went to Salem on Saturday, and, it, and uh, in the same period of time, we got this email uh, from the Veterans Council in Salem saying, would you come to this uh, assembly? Ended up being 500 people. Amazing. And I'm sitting there, and I didn't know this. Um, they're they're going to give you a medal as a, uh, I don't know what it was, a war. Yeah, a war veteran. Yeah. Nancy looks at me, and she goes, you're getting a medal? You didn't tell me? I said, I have no clue. Right? And there, there it is. There it is, a healing moment place where you don't want to cry in front of Marine. <laughs> oh, we got two of them here. <laughs> Army guys cry all the time, but usually it's over their beer. <laughs> the Coast Guard people drink? Are they real military people? I don't know. Oh! A Marine got me yesterday, uh, Saturday. <laughs> he goes, uh, yeah, you're welcome to come to VFW. I, I, I know you're in the Air Force, but we'll overlook it. <laughs> <laughs> Never too late to change. Never too late to respond to the grace of God. That's being a centered, centered set. Finally, when we look at the text, we'll go to the last slide. What happened? Uh, Barnabas and Saul, uh, they go teach the people. They go discipleship and train them. Uh, and what is amazing at the end of the text is that those that are uh, Gentiles that are converted, they have a heart full of what? Heart full of grace. Why? Because they had grace poured into their heart. Can a church be grace-filled if the pastor is not? Well, I'm imperfect. <laughs> but I want to grow in the grace of the Lord. And the reason for that is so that you can grow in the grace of the Lord. And so that we can be 
on mission for Jesus Christ. Amen? We're going to ask Ben to come and um, if there's any other of the team members, they can come. And let's prepare our hearts uh, to celebrate uh, the Lord's table this morning. Thank you for watching online. If we can help you, uh, please connect with us. Um, after the service, if you need prayer, please come on up front. I know we have a meeting afterwards, but uh, we're always here for you, both if you watch it online and here in person. Let's prepare our hearts.